Welcome back to another edition of Scoreline Extra with myself, Sinead Kyo. Lots of sporting action covered over the weekend. To kick things off, we'll hear from Dixborough under-21 captain Mark Nolan on being crowned county champions, having defeated Ballyhale this weekend. Yeah, it was very special now. Especially now, um, Latin me last year under age hurling, so it meant uh, very much a lot to me now. So did. And then after the year we had uh, winning the minor, the 19, then capping off with 21, just really sealed the, the year for under age hurling in Dixborough. Yeah, it's been such a, a, a tremendous successful year for Dixborough, even when you think about the Camogie as well. What What is going on up there? Yeah, the, when we joined the club there uh, last year, it really brought us on a lot now because come all gear setting standards they're winning trophies and that you can, uh, all the lads are seeing that now as well so they don't want to be the ones bringing down the club kind of, so <laughs> they're trying to push on now as well like. yeah you're obviously referring to the one club rule that's been brought in uh, you're someone that's experiencing it the whole time it's paying up dividends now what has changed in terms of the running of the club have you noticed uh, just kind of the, the bond between like it was kind of just very separate so now the bond between the boys' teams and the girls' teams, just the camaraderie and the environment of the place. Um, so we're all in the gym now and we're seeing each other much more and we're going to each other's games and stuff like that. It's just makes it a lot easier for the club to run. It's just uh, it's paying off at the moment and long may it continue. Yeah, as, as the name suggests, one club. Uh, for yourself, though, personally, to captain Dixborough to the championship, very young career already, but was one of the highlights of your hurling career to date? Yeah, most definitely was uh, captain uh, this club. Uh, it means a lot to me, and uh, especially the team we had there, all the good players, and me to be the captain of that of such a good team, such a young team. Was, uh, was a huge honour for me. Yeah, I can certainly. I, I well, like I would say, I can imagine, but I couldn't imagine. We hear a lot of players talk about how club means a lot more than inter county to them for because of that. We were talking to Jane Cass from Dixborough, and she was saying the same thing. Just how special it is to win anything with your club because these are the people that you grew up with. These are the people that you're in the trenches with more often than not. No, exactly. Yeah, I take when when we club over the county any other week, like you just said there. These are the boys who grew up from under sixes playing all the way up. So yeah, this one really was special to us. And uh, our own Michael Walsh was the manager, of course. How much has he brought the team on in the in the past while? Well, unbelievable amount. He's been, he was with the 17s this year. They won the 19s. They won as well. And now he's captured off with 21s. Yeah, so he's doing tremendous work with the club. And now he's uh, becoming the senior manager for this year. So hopefully we can drive it on and win the senior senior as well now yeah there seems to be something in the water there with Dixborough and of course Michael Walsh just a huge huge asset to us here at KCLR and of course to Dixborough uh, were you worried at all though that there would be backlash for, from the All-Ireland Club final defeat of uh, Shamrocks uh, yeah uh, yeah did no yeah probably would have been better off alright if they had went on and won that you know so. <laughs> a few but, days uh, celebrating it yeah exactly well, yeah, whenever you're going out to Bally Hill in the county final, especially with players like uh, the Prophet of Owen Cody and Derek Harkin and so on, um, you're going to have a big battle and we're just happy to go over the lane against them now. And uh, you, you mentioned there, you know, the minor winning and uh, the Senior Camogie Championship win and the next step possibly being the, the Senior Hurling County title. How important and how... Uh, how how applicable is transferring that success at underage now to 
the senior side? Yeah, look, that is the main aim. That's the holy grail of uh, Kilkenny uh, County Hurling and uh, Club Hurling. So it is the senior championship and we have been getting underage success uh, for a long time now and it has to well, we won it there in 2017 but haven't really kicked on too much. So now that's the real plan now. That was kind of the main focus after this year. Now we had our medal presentation last night and that was kind of the main talk of driving on now and really getting into... Uh, winning senior titles. Yeah, it, it'd be it's it's hard to find. I'm a James Stevens man, and uh, you know we seem to always get shamrocks in the semi final stage uh, every year. Um, but it, it's hard to kind of overthrow someone that has been so dominant in, in the past few years. And considering now that they're coming back off the the All Ireland and and what happened there, and it might be it's kind of scary that you might get a shamrock side absolutely determined or one now with a new manager coming in James O'Connor and so so forth is gone so you never know what shamrock side you could be coming up against so it it really is an interesting championship no it is yeah Kenny Kenny uh, championship is the most competitive uh, in, in the country so it is and now Valley Hair yeah coming in after the loss of that they will really, really be gunning for it this year but yeah, that's that's our job. We have to take them off the off the top, so we do, and it's only one way to do that, and that's go and beat them. And that and that's uh, you're up against Bennis Bridge, I believe, in the first game, is it? I actually do not know. No. <laughs> <laughs> you had your medal celebration last night, so we won't, we won't uh, keep you too long. But uh, there's a lot of players in or around a similar age bracket now to yourself. Do you think the foundation is there for the senior side to succeed for the next, not next season, but for the next five and ten years? No, yeah, definitely is now. We have a good, strong underage team coming up. Um, good few and under 20 there, so hopefully they'll start driving on and a few on the likes of the St. Kieran team that are going to the All Ireland. So, yeah, definitely in the next two or three years, we'll see a good new crop coming through with that. Well, Mark, thanks very much for being ever so kind with your time. Did you have a good, good big crack at the medal celebration anyway? How was Mickey uh, Walsh? Was he behaving himself? He was behaving himself, all right, yeah. No, good, good crack was had now, all right. Uh, especially after that Kilkenny performance against Dublin as well. It was just, uh, do you think that was expected at all? Uh, well, you can never rake really any off, I suppose. But yeah, Dublin were supposed to be the team flying into it. So, yeah, it was a great performance. Now I was watching it. Yeah, lots of young young lads playing very well. So yeah, hopefully they continue that on into the later stage of the year. Well, Mark, thanks ever so much for coming on to us once again. Congratulations on that under twenty one county championship victory. No doubt it was a feather in the bow for everybody playing in there. Congratulations as the captain as well, representing the side. Thanks very much for your time, sir. Lovely. Thank you very much, Sam, for having me. We also heard from Michael Egan, author of a series of GAA books. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually I'm pretty excited about this time, Shane, because the last time when it brought out the two books, it was in the middle of the lockdown and it was all click and collecting on the bookshop. So thankfully, as we all know, the pandemic has settled down a bit and all the bookshops are open. So the uh, third one in the series is called Over the Bar. A uh, good bit of hurling in that one. Now for anyone listening to Kenny and Carlo, and uh, that one is going to be out on the 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day, and the fourth one where Declan has a trip over to the World GA Games in Madrid in Spain. That one is out on April the 21st. Oh, fantastic. Can you give us a bit of a premise behind the book? We were chatting off air there the other day and we were kind of having a talk into it. It sounds fascinating. It sounds like you're trying to get GAA directly into the hands of the youth. That is exactly it, Shane. Would you believe I was in a school in Bally Fermot a long time ago, about 2011, 
And we have this thing in schools which is called dear time. It's drop everything and read. So sometimes after the lads or the girls have their bit of a lunch time, bit of a game of soccer or whatever, they come in and they themselves are still a little bit humped after the game, especially if they've lost and the adrenaline has flown. So sometimes I used to have a little bit of the dear time, bit of reading for five or ten minutes just to settle things down. There was one lad anyway, I could never get him to read at all. And then all of a sudden, uh, one day he seemed to be reading to beat the band and he was reading a soccer series of books called Football Academy by Tom Palmer. And I uh, was on a career break a couple of years ago in Brazil, actually, would you believe it? And I, a notion came into my head. That, uh, I thought about these soccer series of books. And I said to myself, there's no GA team series of books in Ireland. So I got out the laptop, I started writing and came back to Ireland then around, I think it was 2017. And I set up Leash GATV in Leash and began teaching again. And then um, during the pandemic, actually, to be honest with you, I was so bored at one stage. I remember those books in my laptop that I had done absolutely nothing with. I sent them in to Gill Books. I was actually just after reading Rory Story's book, if you a lot of people probably are aware of him. I turned over his book and it said Gill Books in the back. I uh, Googled Gill Books, read the criteria, sent in the books on the Friday and I'd actually forgot that I sent them in, to be honest with you. Noticed an email on my laptop on the Tuesday. It was a reply from Gill Books and they said, yeah, they agreed with me that they said, yes, Ireland could do with a set of GA team children's books and that's how it all started and the first two came out last year and now as you're saying the third book is in the series is going to come out on the 17th of March and the fourth one is out on the 21st of April. That sounds absolutely brilliant. We were talking to James Fallon there not so long ago and he's a co-creator of the board game that's based around GEA called Banished Door where you practically manage your own game and we've spoken to various different people like Ogra who release retro jerseys and it's it's the community that's within the GEA that are driving these kind of things for people to enjoy outside of actually participating in the game and it's great to see. It is, yeah. Actually, it's funny enough that you mentioned James Fallon. I, I was speaking to him on the phone there only a few months ago about that particular uh, the board game. It's fantastic. And the more things like to promote Gaelic games and reading as well, it's a great thing because I'm a primary school teacher and I'd be often saying um, any parents that you're chatting to there, let's say the parent-teacher meetings, if, if their child is finding it hard at, at the lunch times, whatever, to make friends, I would often encourage them to, to uh, join the local GA club because... The GA, like, it's a great community. It's a very welcoming community. And I say, like, whatever happens, whether they're good or they're, they're not particularly good, it doesn't matter. Like, they'll make friends and they'll have fun. So, like, the the books, like, we're trying to encourage children to read. Like, I've often said, sometimes you can give a, a child a hurl or slitter or football and be out the back there for an hour, not bothering them playing away, but you get them to sit down and read a book for 20 minutes or, or thereabouts, and it can be a bit tricky at times. So the kind of general idea I was thinking of was creating a subject matter GA in this case that uh, hopefully they're interested in and that'll that'll help them to kind of foster love of reading and, and of books as well but as you're kind of saying there Shane we're trying to combine that with the promotion of Gaelic games because as, as we all know the amount of benefits children get out of playing sport in general at Gaelic Games is fantastic. Yeah, we were talking to Liam Griffin last week. He had a two-part interview and the first part kind of dealt with the motion to Congress for next year in regards to getting more kids playing GEA. Apparently, a study in the Sheffield Hallam University said that hurling in particular was outside the top 10 sports played in Ireland with the youth. So, According to Liam, it seems to be a very pressing issue and only things like this can help with that problem that they seem to be having. Yeah, that's uh, shocking enough, isn't it? It certainly is, yeah. 
10 uh, Shane yeah I suppose look we've hurling uh, or we've hurling in the uh, the third book here anyway and it's a fantastic game perhaps it's a bit more technical than the, the football so maybe some children find it a bit more difficult but um, yeah as you're saying anything whether it's books or whatever we can do in order to um, promote the games it's a fantastic thing and uh, children are, um, are only going to benefit from it I suppose you probably saw the thing there recently um, well I know within Leash anyway they're after um, getting more GPOs games promotional officers there and perhaps in Kilkenny and Carroll are going to benefit from that as well so that's another thing there as well to um, continue the promotion of Gaelic football and hurling in particular as well yes we want to see as many children playing uh, hurling and football as possible because as we were saying there we all know the benefits that they can get and the more things that we can do the better and uh, coming back to the book now in itself you mentioned that there is uh, some very pressing releases coming very very soon but if people want to get their hands on the book where can they do that? I suppose they can get it in any good bookshop. We're actually doing a promotion with Easton's there at the minute. So if you want to pre-order the book, you can go to the Easton's website and pre-order it. What could happen? What will happen then is you'll be put into a raffle there. And if you win the raffle, you'll win a full GA kit, your, your county's kit for the jersey, shorts and the socks and all of that. Um, so, but essentially any good bookshop should have it there, you know. And uh, as we're saying, it's the 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day when it'll be out. And are you planning to ho- like hoping to write more books in the future? Is it depending on the success of this? Considering you've already had two scorchers as well, two more on the way. Is there going to be another two? Um, not sure. Yeah, at the minute there, Shane. I'm working. Uh, I kind of have a book finished there at the minute. It's nothing to do with uh, sports at all. Just to kind of um, keep myself fresh and all of that. But yeah, I suppose. Look, we'll see how uh, these two two go. It's four in total, so the, the two flashes went quite well actually. Uh, so we'll see how these two go. And yeah, certainly wouldn't rule it out. Might get up to five or six, um, I suppose. Look, as we're saying there, the more books, the more benefits children will get from the reading and it'll continue the promotion of the games. So um, I don't want to that in the pipeline. I don't book uh, five in the pipeline yet. So look, we'll see how this book goes. And sure, I might get the laptop back out later on in the year and, and potentially work with a book five. We'll see how it goes, I suppose. And Michael, someone like me who wasn't very astute when it came to GAA and is now heavily involved in, in the promotion of the game through media, you yourself, I don't know how kind of your technical prowess when it came to GEA but you're very uh, astute when it comes to writing books do you have any advice or any young people who do love the GEA but might ha- have a bit more of a penchant towards the the kind of writing or the, the creativity that might surround it if someone wants to become a writer like yourself do you have any advice for them um, yeah well I suppose it, it's all about practice makes perfect I mean um, what happened how I ended up writing in the very very first place was I had a great teacher in third class called Brian Davis in Killinard National School so um, Killinard is an area people may actually be familiar with it nowadays because it was a history very small area still smaller but the Heritage Hotel people are kind of familiar with that um, that's where Killinard is that Heritage Hotel near that Sebi Ballesteros golf course but anyway I had Brian Davis in third class great guy great teacher and he was big into creative writing so um, we used to write stories every Wednesday and at the end of the, uh, the, the day essentially he'd read out in inverted commas the three best stories of the day so the first uh, story he read out there years and years ago was my story so I got a great boost a great bit of confidence from that and that kind of gave me the confidence to kind of um, practice writing you know what I mean and look it, things don't happen overnight I had to do loads and loads of practice we'd work booked it there on Thursday so I was in a few classes in the school and school big and late when it's high in Kildare and I was telling the children the, the class I was speaking to were, were third class so like I mean 
practice makes perfect, you know, like, so the books that I write are generally around 25 chapters. So, like, I was saying to the children, you'll probably pick up maybe four new words, we'll say, in each chapter. So if you if you read the full book, you'll, you'll probably learn 100 new words, we'll say, in, in each book. So, like, the more books they read, the more words they'll get, they'll be able to use that when they're practicing writing their stories. And the more they do, do it, the better they'll get. And I suppose you're saying with the GA there as well, though, Shane, and I'm going on a bit here, but the thing with GA is in terms of the playing ability of, of the child, it doesn't matter if they're the best player on the team or whatever. Later on in a football or hurling, if they want different roles within the club, whether it's the PRO, whether it's whatever, whether they want to become a coach themselves. I mean, if we look at soccer, Jose Marino and Arsene Wenger and these guys weren't particularly fantastic players, but they've become fabulous coaches in their own right. So there's a place for everybody within the GA, within the Gaelic Games community, whether you're the best player in the field or you want to be involved in some capacity, there is certainly a role for everybody, I believe. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. No doubt we'll be speaking again very, very soon. Just once again, the book date releases. Where can people pick them up? So uh, it's out. The first one, or sorry, it's the third one actually in the series. It's the 17th of March. That'll be out in all good bookshops. As we are saying, we're doing that promotion with Easton's. So if you want to go onto the Easton's website, you can pre-order it and you'll be in with a chance of winning your county kit. And the fourth one there is out on April 21st. And again, uh, there's a promotion, actually I should say as well, it's Bookstation, uh, the fourth one, and you can pre-order there and you'll be in with a chance of uh, going to the GA Museum, actually, that would be two tickets to the GA Museum in Grove Park. Um, so that's the story, all good bookshops. We also caught up with Pilltown Chairman Jimmy Walsh on fundraising activities happening in the club in the month of March. On the line is Pilltown Chairman Jimmy Walsh, who is going to be talking about the fundraising efforts that will take place throughout the month of March as they look to improve facilities for their GEA, LGFA, Camogie and Juvenile members. Jimmy, thanks very much for coming on the air, sir. Thanks for having me on, Shane. Um, Jimmy, big fundraising efforts going on out in Pilltown. What are you hoping to use the funds for? Well, sure. What we're doing is we're joining up with our ladies getting football and Camogie and we're just... We're doing one fundraiser to fund all our clubs together and also then to do our, any development costs that we'll incur in the like the day-to-day running of the pitches and you know whatever maintenance needs to be done. And then hopefully we'll have a development fund at the end that we can do dressing room developments or pitch improvements. That would be the, the long-term plan. And how can people get involved? What exactly are you doing? What we're doing is we have this, it's, we call it the Pilltown All-Star 15 and if somebody wants to get involved, you can go on pilltownallstar15 at gmail.com and what it, the 15 is, it's actually 15 euros a month for the 12 months and we'll have 10 monthly draws for 1,000 euros of top prize and then we'll have other, another draw Christmas for hampers and we'll also have lesser prize than that. We also have a lottery syndicate end, element to it and the GA national draw as well so there's, there's a lot of prizes to be won and if you're, like, if, you're outside of, if you're outside of the community can you still get involved or do you have to be from Pilton? No not at all no no anybody can get involved anybody wants to support we believe the draw is a good is actually good value it'll, it'll be 
you know, there'll be limited enough numbers. So, you know, there'll be good odds on winning and, they'll be, and the prizes are there, we believe, are attractive for the value. I mean, when you break it down, it's just a little more than a cup of coffee a week. So, you know, it's not a, it's not a prohibitive price. And then you'll be supporting our activities and, you know, it's a good chance of winning. And the three clubs working together, that, that's something that you manage to do very well out in Pilltown, isn't it? Yeah, so well, we're getting we're getting there. We, we, we would have had always had, um, you know, our clubs are separate now, and um, there was always an issue as to who funds the maintenance of the, you know, the whole grounds. And there's only two ways you can do it: either you try to charge people for the use of it, which is not a very popular route to go because you know there's always how much do you charge people in your own area for your own pitches and that type of uh, you know it's, there's always that debate and instead of that if we fundraise together we just get you know we get all the support from each groups in the community and then you know it, it's a help then towards everybody feels that they are contributing and then they're involved and you know, it, it is it is the way forward, but it just it does take like it's logical enough when you look at it that we should work like that. But um, it takes a lot of cooperation from you know if you have like different entities to come together on that basis. But like we believe that you know if if everybody is contributing towards the maintenance of the buildings, then you know that they won't end the pitches and whatever else that you know there isn't a, you know everybody feels equal if you like you know. And we've seen this, the, the one club directive, uh, most notably with Dixborough there recently, and you see with the GPA uh, getting in, uh, all the kind of disciplines together, and then we've seen it go to Congress with some overwhelming support there. Is this the way forward yeah. for the GEA? Yes, but it, it has to be in, like in the community, um, you know, like people expect you to, um, you know, to, to, to share, if you like, and to support all the organisations, you know, and in this day and age, that really is what you have to do, but the like the the principle of the thing is is good. But unless unless you can sort out the let's say the financial end of it that everybody is in agreement with, it'll always be harder to do it. Like we have, like at present we work our like a rotor system on pitches and all that, and that works well. You know we are everybody has equal call on. You know just you just work into a um, a rotor and there is a booking system and that. So you know that has worked well for us. So this is just another another step. And if the like we aren't one entity as it is, but obviously this is the progression towards it. But it, like we think this is actually the the bigger step. You know that this is the, this is a tough one for organisations. It's the you can talk about the facilities and you know everybody wants to use them, but then with just say for example, if your neck gets blown down behind the goal and it's going to cost ten grand to start it out, like who's going to pay the ten grand or when is that going to be paid? So, you know, you just they are the bigger issues, like, you know. So if everybody is contributing towards the fundraising then that isn't a problem, like and uh, just looking ahead then for your own year and looking at the draw for the 2022 JJ Cavanagh Sons Junior Hurling League that took place in UPNC Nolan Park on Sunday you're in Group B what's what's the aim for the year? Well obviously we aim to progress like like every club in junior like Kilkenny itself is it's very competitive and people say you know that you're only in, in the junior so it couldn't be but um, you know Kilkenny Junior is is a very very competitive group, and we're there. If if we develop as players, like we intend to 
go the whole ways and get out of it and that's that's our plan for the year we obviously we had a young team last year and we're building and if you know if those players and it looks like the, the majority of them are staying which is sometimes we lose players and but um, you know we seem to be having they don't seem to be going to be going going off for the summer or that type of thing so you know hopefully we'll have everyone there to build the team and by the end of it we, we will be there thereabouts the county final Well we wish you the best of luck as we follow your journey I think uh, is it Greg Namana that you have up first? Yes it is yes Greg Namana and in terms then once again of the fundraising efforts the All Star 15 it sounds like it's going to be a bit of fun a bit of crack and not just for people in the Pilltown community how can people once again get involved? Yeah, it, just go on the on the look on the website. It's Pilltown All Star Fifteen at Gmail dot com. Jimmy, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us here at KCLR. No doubt we'll be keeping in touch as the year progresses. Thanks very much, Sam. Pilltown Chairman Jimmy Walsh on the fundraising activities that will be taking place throughout the whole month of March and beyond. They're looking to improve facilities for the GEA, the LGFA, the Camogie, the juvenile members. Uh, just a tremendous efforts been going on out there. We also heard from Dr. Neil Hill on the evolution of rugby. Welcome back to Scoreline with myself, Shane O'Keefe. Now, joining me on the line is Dr. Neil Hill, who is a consultant for diabetes and endocrinology at the Charing Cross Hospital. Recently, after writing a paper, a game for all shapes and sizes, changes in anthropometric and performance measures of elite professional rugby union players. First of all, Dr. Hill, thanks very much for taking the time, sir. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I've read over the report with our producer here, Robbie Dowling. It's quite, uh, it's something that you wouldn't really expect or really delve into, considering that it's been nearly 30 years now since the sport has gone into uh, professional format. But for our listeners, could you sort of somewhat explain what the purpose of this paper was? Um, yeah, of course. <clears throat> so um, so I'm, I'm a huge rugby fan. And we uh, we're interested in in the game, and and my friend uh, Nick Oliver, who's a professor of diabetes, um, and I were, were chatting about this. And a few years ago, we looked into uh, uh, the data about what had happened to um, rugby players since the game had turned professional. So, actually, what we did was bought a load of um, match day programs uh, from the the what was the Five Nations, and we collected the programs from 1955, 1965. So every 10 years, right up to 2015, and just, you'll remember in the match day programs, they, they have the weights uh, and um, heights of all the players. So we plotted that and we found that between uh, the game going professional in 1995, there's a huge increase in, in body mass of uh, the players. So, um, so we published that about five years ago. And um, since then, we've... Um, um, been in touch with uh, a, a man by the name of Tristan Bevan, who is head of performance at Cardiff Rugby. Um, he's a friend of, of ours. Um, and he has some data about rugby players um, during the professional time um, in his work as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, so, so we plotted that data to look at changes in both their anthropometric data, which is things like their their weight, uh, their fat mass, their their size, and also their performance data, so things like how fast they run and um, the distance they cover during the game. 
Um, obviously, with the kind of advancement of science and nutrition, you would expect to see some type of uh, increase in the shape or the speed of a player. However, what we've been increasingly talking about here at Scoreline over the past year or two, we've spoke with Dr. Willie Stewart, and it would be about uh, concussions and protocol with that. Does this have a knock-on effect, knowing that the players are increasing in size? Is this going to have a knock-on effect in years to come in regards to the likes of concussions? and so forth yeah I think I think from what we've done we have to be really careful not to overstate the, the data we've collected we've collected data in an observational fashion in other words we, we've collected it with time without any interventions and and whilst it, it does seem that in concussions and injuries are going up I don't think you can extrapolate that from from the information we've got because of course there could be other reasons that we haven't looked at as to, to why players are becoming injured or concussed more often. So it might not just be, or it might not be anything to do with their body size, their momentum, their speed. It might be related to, for example, how much time they spend training. Um, so I think our data doesn't show, and, and you can't assume that because people have got bigger, that relates to uh, an increase in injury. But of course, it's something that, that is definitely worth looking into in the future. And looking at if it's just a purely kind of informational piece as opposed to looking at, say, the knock-on effects, which could come forward in, in the next few years, what in particular has stood out to you then? I'm, I'm reading here that the front five players' momentum has increased by astonishingly 25%. Uh, overall momentum has increased by 14%. Is this just all on the back of better science and better nutrition for the player over the years? I think so. I think, yeah, exactly. Players are better conditioned, better trained. And I think that, that that was the standout data for us as well. When we wrote our original paper looking at the, the Five Nations players over that sort of 60-year period, we assumed that the one thing that would continue to change is, is body mass, player size. Um, what we hadn't anticipated was that players would get faster. And, and in fact, the front, front five players have... have got much, much quicker, and that reflects in a huge increase in their momentum. So not only are they bigger, leaner, they're also faster and cover a lot of distance as well. And how do you... I know that you mentioned that you're looking at match programmes and, and you're looking at the weight of different players, but you, the, the likes of statistics didn't really become that prevalent until after, I'd say, 95, in, in the manner in which they're done now and e- easily accessible now. So pursuing this study, because it's based off... 20 seasons of professional rugby. How did you delve into the data from two weeks ago? Is it purely based on the match programs, as you said? So Sorry if, I, if I've confused. So, so the first paper we wrote was based on match day programs. This data was collected by um, Tristan Bevan as part of his, his, his daily work right. over the 20 seasons. Okay, and what do you find then is the most important findings in this study? So I think uh, that... The findings are of, of general interest that, that, you know, the rugby players that we see playing now are colliding with one another with increased energy. Um, that You see the, the sort of big big hits going in, uh, in in all matches, uh, pretty much at all levels, but certainly at a professional level. There's a huge amount of energy being dissipated in these collisions. And I suppose that just means that, you know, and, and as World Rugby are doing, you know, looking to mitigate the potential for injury and I think you know that that's welcome and I think we need to look more and more into how we can protect rugby players going forward yeah it's a, it's a huge concern as you said we've we, we've 
kind of wax lyrical about it with various different people involved in various different sports. Would you expect to see these kind of increases? I know you're focusing particularly on rugby, but in other worldwide sports? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I suppose it depends on where, where the benefit comes. I mean, when you think about rugby, the, the, the collision um, and, and the, the strength required for wrestling the ball, uh, for jackling, for making tackles, there's, there's an obvious benefit to um, being larger um, in certain situations. But of course, you also need pace, um, running speed, um, and, and other sort of skill sets as well. So it's not just about being massive. And I had a look at some data referring to NFL a few years ago. And I think that showed that some of the, some of the positions in, in American football, which had progressively got bigger and bigger over the years, were actually starting to decrease in size because as the game evolves, then you need different as, as tactics, tactics and strategy for the game evolves. You need different sort of body shapes and, and um, playing capacity, sort of um, physical capabilities to be enabled to fulfill that role effectively. So I think it was to do with the tight ends who, who at one point were, were enormous and then have, have got a bit smaller because they need to be faster. And I suppose that, that sort of could be the case for, for rugby. Um, in other sports, I, I don't really know, to be honest. I mean, football players don't appear to have, soccer players don't appear to have got, got better. But of course, everyone's much better conditioned these mm. days. Yeah, I was just going to bring up that point about in the next 20 years because it almost seems unfathomable for, for rugby players to be a lot bigger. When you're standing beside one, I know it's one thing seeing them on the screen, but when you're standing beside a professional rugby player, we have our own Tullow Tank, Sean O'Brien, regularly grace our studios here and just the size of the man, it's hard to think in another 20 years that that could be maybe doubled in size or even in, increase in 20%, but as the game evolves, so do the players, needs must. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think you're right. It, it, when, when you watch the game on TV, they all look similar, don't they? And then you see the referees who, who are, uh, are, are perhaps you know, less, less gigantic and it puts it all into perspective. Um, I think um, yeah, it's difficult to know where it's going to go. You know, the game will continue to evolve and perhaps uh, the laws will evolve to, to limit the, the size of the players in, in, in some way or another, be that you know a maximum team mass or... Um, you know, changes to the substitution laws or, or lifting in the lineouts. It's difficult to know where where world rugby will go, but I guess they, are, you know, they're, they're clearly very aware of it and, and doing their best to mitigate it. And I suppose the challenge is that it, it remains a contact sport, and and that that will continue to mean that you know big players can potentially gain an advantage in certain aspects of the game. It'd be interesting to know if this trend is is somewhat kind of highlighted within the women's game as well, and seeing if if the female players are are, are getting to that type of twenty percent, fifteen percent, fourteen percent increases in their game. Um, in, in terms of the future, though, are these? I know we talked about the injury aspect of it and the possible concussion aspect of it. You're very quick to remark that this isn't what this is based on. It's purely kind of analytical. But is this? information somewhat worrying or is it purely informational i think it's purely informational at the moment um you know when when we submitted the paper we had um, some really helpful reviews um before it was published and and as, as one of one of the comments said you know the strength and conditioning and and preparation that the players go through might mitigate some of the some of the effects of their size. So yes, they're they're getting bigger, but they're also much better conditioned. They're 
fitter, you know, their, their capacity to absorb um, some, of, some of these larger collisions might, might be considerably better than, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Is this something now that because you've had someone like Tristan Bevan, who's uh, head of performance with Cardiff Rugby, is, is this something now that you would imagine a lot of professional teams are going to take on board and take stock in? I expect they're doing it already, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't know for sure, um, but I think you know they're all aware of what their their players are, are you know, their f- physical performance limits. And I think you know the other thing to say is that that as I mentioned at the beginning, you know. In many ways, what we've done is, is reasonably simplistic. We've taken some data and analysed it on uh, the metrics that are easy to measure. But what we what we haven't looked at is um, the sort of non-measurable skill sets that come with rugby. You know, um, change in direction, uh, vision, skills in terms of passing, kicking, uh, awareness of space, and all those other things, which which determine what makes a you know a, a professional rugby player. So it's it's much more than just you know big blokes running around as, as you're all very aware of <laughs> I can attest to that anyway uh, Dr Hill <laughs> thank you ever so much for taking the time to speak with us today here at Scoreline it's a thanks. very interesting uh, subject we'll have it up on our website scoreline.ie if anybody wants to delve deep, deeper into the topic but once again sir thanks very much have a great weekend yeah you too thanks very much bye yes. then that Dr. Neil Hill, a consultant of diabetes and endocrinology, about his paper, a game for all shapes and sizes, changes in anthropometric and performance measures of elite professional rugby union. Lots more still to come here on Scoreline. Stick around. The Kilkenny Rugby women's team also popped by studio to chat about their league status and their hopes for promotion. To kind of come in this year and uh, and get the numbers of girls that we've gotten, and then for the team to gel so well together from kind of their first game, beating Tala ten nothing, and then moving on, moving on, um, getting a loss behind ourselves as well, and recouping after that. And I mean, right right now we're on a, a seven game streak, I think, um, against very very strong sides, which is. Just you know, you couldn't ask for better. And it's interesting that you mentioned the loss there as well. And uh, losing so early can have either a devastating effect or it can kind of galvanise the squad. Cathy, from your experience, how important is it to have that team spirit and unity to help and go out and then go on a seven-game winning streak? Yeah, you have to look at the at the loss. You know, it was a difficult one to take. We took a couple of injuries on the game and. It was very hard. It was a lesson. It was a lesson for us to go on and it was it showed us exactly where we needed to go for the rest of the season and at what level we needed to be playing at. Every one of the girls st- stood up to the mark. You know, we trained them, gave them ideas. Everybody took on board everything that was said to them and, you know, we've progressed in every aspect of our game from that day on. Like, And this day next week, a victory at home to Swords could see you win the league. Paddy, how special would that be? I think it'd be huge, uh, really. Um, like I've been working with them for two years, and it's been tough to see girls saying, "Oh, you know, we don't have enough numbers, and we don't have this." And n- now, for the few that mightn't have, you know, three, four seasons in them left to to keep building, but to be able to have this season and and 
have that kind of demeaning for them um, and have that in in behind them to, to come out at the top end and no matter what happens next weekend we'll be placed second in the division and that to be honest for me is enough um, with with how everything's gone this year um, and it is it's something that everyone on the team and, and working around in the background should be proud of so you know that's that's the way I'm looking at it is at this stage sounds like it makes you emotional <laughs> a little bit Do you know it's it's been a tough graph for for the time and a family on the team and you get a good connection with the players and you can see the dedication and effort that's been put in by all of them each week um, that has been just a kind of magic experience for me well it could be a magic experience for the men's team as well just an update they are ahead with a try there it is 10-8 against Ashburn so relegation might be palmed away fingers crossed Uh, Cathy from your own experience playing and stuff and and being in such a a huge game how important is it to just treat it like another game because we know that nerves can get the better of you I've played in cup finals in soccer I've I've played rugby as well with the Normans in some big games and you can see that it does get the better of some people so how how important is it to just treat it like another game or do you indeed build it up to be something more Um, I suppose Navin last week was a game we set ourselves up for you know it was a level we needed to achieve we wanted to achieve it but I know there was a lot of nerves and I my exact words to some of them was, it's a team you've never played before. You just go out, you take it as a, as a fresh game. We play our own game. Um, we don't play to anybody else's style of rugby. We, we want to play our own rugby because we have confidence that when we do that, we can actually beat any team that's put in front of us when we play our own rugby and when girls settle into our own game. Um, you know, there's lessons to be taken from every game, whether you win or whether you lose. You, you, you must learn something from every game and take it to the next game with you. You know, that's the way I look at it and that you learn from every game. Um, nerves for me, I'm not somebody who suffers with nerves, but I know there is people on the team. I've played with girls down through the years who, who would physically be sick before games, but it's, it's how you manage that on the field. Once that ball comes into your hand, it has to go. And for we're very lucky, actually, in the sense that all of our girls are very good that way. They're all very level-headed and they take, they take on board everything we've said to them. They play well, they play confidently because they have the techniques right, you know, and they're very good to do so. Like You mentioned uh, coming up against Navin, having not played them before. It is a new team and that's what, something that you'll experience quite a bit. But you have played Swords before. You defeated them in November. It was 17-5. Does that hold any credence or does that help you in terms of knowing that you can get the win or knowing a style of play that they like to play? Um, the simple answer for that is we're we're in a development league, and what we saw uh, before Christmas was Swords beat um, or Tala beat Swords thirty nine zero, and they played them again Tuesday and had a thirteen twelve win over Tala, uh, and that's a huge step in the space of of a couple of months. Um, so I'm looking at this game excited that there's going to be a solid competition for us. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing how much swords have developed and, and, and see what skill base they have now against us and what we can show against them. Um, do you know, so I'm, I'm confident. Look, I'll be confident with my girls over any team at all. So, you know, <laughs> sim- simple as I put them against anyone and, <laughs> and I'll back them 100%. But at the end of the day, 
a team can creep up very very easily um, and you can't think that you're going to beat everyone um, so that's, that's you don't want to have overconfidence going into it no uh, how important then considering it was such a successful year for you and getting nearly 27 strong in the panel how important has this season been in building for the future because that's the big thing you're in your infancy you're in a development league you're looking to build towards the future seeing in 2020 it was the year of women in sports if you can't see her you can't be her people are now seeing a Kilkenny women's rugby team being successful as well how important is that building the foundations out there Um, it's vitally important and it's vitally important for that under the under 18 team coming behind us Um, hopefully you know any of those that are of age next year will want to come up and join our team you know and keep pushing for places and keep pushing everybody for their place. It's it's great to see. I mean, we've secured some great sponsorship down through the season this year. We've brand new set of jerseys for ourselves. You know, it's it's great for women in sport in general to have the support of a club as well, and that we can you know we can step onto that field knowing that like people coming up behind us, there's actually a, there's something in place for them now. It's not going to be new that there's actually a system in place there for them coming behind us and you know I mean I'm not going to be around forever in my role but like for whoever comes in there's a system there now and hopefully it'll stay in place and it'll just keep getting better and better as the, as the months and years go on Like we've seen uh, say from a Carlo perspective here at Casey or we've seen uh, great people Sean O'Brien obviously springs to mind you had the Byrne brothers they spring to mind as well uh, Killian Redmond but on the female side of things Tullo's uh, Dan O'Brien she's been selected on the very first Irish talent squad mm. something like that for Kilkenny has to be envisioned in the future for the, and, and yeah. it kind of cements how successful that you have been well definitely um, we had back in January had a number of players go up for uh, Leinster screenings um, you know which is a huge huge thing for the club but a huge thing for the team themselves that even in Division 5 you, you know you're you're able to to show off your skill base and, and what you're capable of. So it's not just AIL teams or Division One teams that are being looked at uh, from provi- provincial sides or even the the, the national panel. Um, that where we are, we're showing what we can do, um, and individuals are able to kind of show off a little bit, um, inspire others to 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 kind of press on and move on and. I'd be hoping in the next 10 years you'll, you'll see us in those higher divisions in with the likes of Tolo, um, the way that it's kind of being built and the talent that I see from the under-18s and the under-16s. I haven't been able to see an under-14s game yet, but I'm, I'm sure they're there, that uh, I can see the infrastructure and I can see the talent pool. As long as we can keep them coming to training and coming through out the years, that we'll, we'll, we'll fly it. Um, really over over the years and hopefully past when I'm gone that that everyone is still kind of fighting for it and, and, and moving on um, we, we've seen uh, like the the Irish women's rugby team they, they failed to qualify for the World Cup but an internal investigation was done the man abended uh, recommended 30 recommendations which has led to uh, hire of head of women's rugby within Ireland and extra investment of 1 million you see TikTok coming along for the Six Nations investing huge money in there a la Little Woods have done with the Camogie over the years um, no doubt just positive for the game in general on the island Cathy it is it, it, it is and I mean it's great to actually see that there's players actually in 
coaching roles now because you know I mean I, I just think Neve Briggs in, in general I think she's a good player she was a good player in her time she's going to bring a, an unreal amount to that but not only that she's going to give opportunities to players that may not have gotten opportunities before because she would have played in lower divisions when she would have started her rugby herself and she would have worked her way up through um, her career like but it's it's important to give those girls, as I said, like we're in we're in the Division Five Development League. It would never have been heard of before to take somebody from a Division Five like Development League for for Leinster trials, you know, and for screenings. Whereas now th- those opportunities are being given, they're being broadened because I think they realise that there is actually a lot more talent out there playing in lower divisions. Um, and I think we need to we need to keep that going. And we need to give the girls the opportunities, just like the the under 18s coming up to us as as a senior team. They need to be given the opportunities to play as well. Um, you know, you don't see what they're worth if they're standing on the line. You know, you need to give them opportunity to have develop their game time and to fit into a squad. And Paddy, Cathy, before we let you go, if you do seal promotion, do you have plans for next year or is the thoughts just on the next game against Swords on Saturday? Um, right now, it's Saturday. Um, there's a lot of kind of pre-planning that I've done over the last few months for next year and, and, and how we're going to progress kind of through the summer and starting off next year I've been told by the team that I'm stuck with them for a <laughs> <laughs> do you know another, not getting away is that coming from Jenny Curran or Isla <laughs> yes. Moss or Rosie pretty, Miller them. pretty much my pretty address much all has around. been leaked to the team I think so but um, no look it is Saturday is important um, I think it's important for Saturday for night could be very important very yeah. important <laughs> I, I think I had my 18s though in Kilkenny Rugby Club so it's, I can attest to it being a good place to go <laughs> I, I think the girls have really enjoyed training under Paddy and like I say that like I, I know I help out with coaching but I've also played so I, I can wholeheartedly say that the girls have really enjoyed playing playing rugby with Paddy this year like it's been brilliant and the big focus I think for me for the summer is to keep the girls involved so that when we come back in September it's not new again that you know even if it's just tag or sevens or something like that that they just keep the rugby ball in their hands over the summertime and keep going with it Will you still look for new players? Yes 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 we're always, always look for me you, you can keep a strong team for a couple of years but you always need new players filtering and learning um, on a constant basis and of course we have the, the underagers um, coming through the years but you know if you're sitting at home kind of thinking oh I'd love to try out the sport and everything like that this year next year and the, and the next few years are the perfect time to try it out um, and come down to a training session even if it's a case of you're not sure what to do, um, get in contact with the Kilkenny Rugby page. They'll point you to the right direction of when we train um, and where we train. And you can just sit, stand, watch on the sideline, talk to me, talk to Cathy, talk to a couple of the players, see how that goes. Um, there's no... I'm not going to force anyone who's, who's coming out to take a look to train the sport's not for everyone um, no sport is for everyone really and like I'd love to see a panel of 50 Next up is Joe Sheehan to give us an update on greyhound racing well, it's a beautiful time of year in the greyhound racing world as the weather begins to improve and moving into the springtime. The biggest competitions of the calendar year begin to roll in and things are getting very, very busy. 
in the tracks in the aftermath of the COVID restrictions. And one of those biggest competitions of the year is happening tonight in Shelburne Park HQ. The 2022 Brisbane Easter Cup semi-finals with new sponsorship this year. Fantastic to see new sponsors coming on board in the Greyhound Racing game. And a wonderful prize fund of a whopping €45,000. It's amazing prize money. And we have a very, very strong local hand in this year's Easter Cup with the amazing Paul Hennessy, who has won this incredibly seven times already and has a big big chance of making that eight times this year he won it seven times as i said if we remember back in 2001 and 2002 he actually won it three years in a row 2000 2001 2002 and two of those years was won by the amazing late late show who if you remember was owned by the broadcaster pat kenny and that brought massive massive interest into the ground game at the time he was a phenomenal ground at the time for Pat Kenny and Paul Hennessy most recently Paul Hennessy won the Easter Cup in 2016 and JT Jett and as I said has three greyhounds left in tonight's semi-finals all with big chances so in the first semi-final Beach Avenue runs from the stripes of Trap 6 owned by the Healy family Beach Avenue has been a wonderful servant for all connections and has a big chance of qualifying tonight for the final also, in the same race, we must remember Susie Sapphire runs from Trap 4. She is probably one of the best bitches of all times, best greyhounds of all times, really. She won the Derby, she won the Oaks and the Puppy Oaks in 2021. And she has really lit up the hearts and minds of greyhound lovers across the world. She runs from Trap 4, but Beach Avenue from Trap 6 for Pollency has to have a big chance to progress to next week's. 2022 Brisbane Easter Cup final. In the second semi-final, Barefoot Supremo runs from Trap 1. Another one of Paul Hennessy's runners for Brian and Kathleen Murphy. And these connections have two greyhounds in this race with Trap 6, Priceless Jet, who finished third last week. He's a big finisher. He's the 2021 Corn Cucullin champion. A real strong stayer. Has a big chance of qualifying. Barefoot Supremo won last week in 30 seconds and certainly has a big chance of qualifying tonight. So best of luck to all of them elsewhere from a local point of view, Kilkenny. We had a whopping night of action last night in the track and of course the competition began last night which we've been counting down for a long long time the very very prestigious and famous well-renowned McCalmont Cup it's a very very hard one competition and one locals really really love to win it's not one easy though if we remember back in 1954 and 55 it was won by the iconic Spanish battleship the three-time Irish Greyhound Derby champion and he won this competition two years in so that'll just go to show you the level of history and prestige for this competition. We had six heats of the McCallum Cup last night and we'll take you through the winners. So in the first heat, Churchtown Bucks was victorious in a time of 28.86 for Michael Crotty. And Dennis Fitzgerald, amazingly, he only won three nights ago in Yall. So this greyhound is in a fantastic vein of form and looks set to continue that form next week into the second round. In the second heat, Sober Regrets came home a winner in 28.84 at a price of 4-2-1 for Sean Malone and David Flanagan showing good early pace to take that one. In the third heat, Macho Pride won in 28.90 at a price of 5-2 for the Under the Star Syndicate and Kieran 
Lynch. So two Cork trainers winning in those two heats. Gunboat Premier won the fourth heat in the time of 28.91 for Sean Kenny. Owned and trained by Sean Kenny. And in the fifth heat, Foyle Amy won in 28.97, staying on quite strongly at a price of 4-1 to one for owner-trainer John Mackey. And last but not least, in the sixth heat of this year's Ballymac Anton at Stud McCallum Cup, Mustang Sam won in 29-27 for owner-trainer Sean Burke. It's an intriguing competition. Some really, really big names in this year's McCallum Cup. And we cannot wait for the second round next Friday night at Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium. I would urge anyone to take a trip out to the Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium next Friday night. It's a real good competition. Big crowds. The betting ring is a hive of activity and wonderful to see this competition in action in Kilkenny Greyhound Stadium. Elsewhere last night we had the continuation of the Frightful Flash Kennels Novice semi-finals and these had some very, very nice pups on display. Some big names in this one as well. In the first semi-final, Rahi Vera Jet came home in a time of 29.17 at even money, making it two from two for jointly owned and trained by Jared and Jason White. Here, Leary and Bogger Shamrock came second and third respectively and they, those three march on to next week's Frightful Flash Kennels Novice Final. In the second semi-final Kilgraney Roddick came home victorious in a time of 29.25 at a price of 4-1 to staying on quite strongly for the Buggy family owned by Mary Buggy trained by Thomas Buggy from Carlow real real strong greyhound family and they have a very very nice prospect in Kilgraney Roddick back in second rewired and third Bitview Tara those three progressed through to next week's final as well so we're going to have the final of the Frightful Flash Kennels unraced and also the second round of this year's 2022 McCallum Cup it's a very very exciting week ahead folks and best of luck to all local connections in action in tonight's Brisbane Easter Cup semi-finals in Shelburne Park The Carlo Hurlers narrowly escaped a loss to Kildare thanks to a last minute point from Chris Nolan. Here's what he had to say after the game. What's your that one, boss? Oh, jeez, I don't know. It's hard to sum up. Yeah. A lot of, um, we were just saying there, we had to pick the bones out, but there was a lot of meat on the bones. Um, let's talk firstly about that line ball at the end, because that's what's got us a point here. Um, what was going through your head at the time? I mean, there's a lot of pressure on that. Yeah, when you're in that moment, you don't really think about it, you know. I'm not, to be honest, I'm not the best at line bots. I'll probably hit another hundred. I wouldn't hit one over. So it got we got a draw, but we're, to be honest with you, we're disappointed, Kevin. Yeah, we're very disappointed. Yeah, you know we we were six points up, I think, at one stage in that game, and the moment we were just we were just disappointed we didn't come out here with two points there. Yeah. Um. I suppose it's difficult to analyse in the immediate after after a game, Chris, right? But from, I suppose from our point of view, what we saw, we, we probably thought Carlo were a little bit flat in the first half. And maybe the last 10 minutes of the first half was kind of what, you know, gave us a bit of an impetus going into the second half. Clare hit a lot of wides. I think our performance in general in the second half was much better. Is that something you'd go along with? Yeah, maybe for the first 20 minutes in that second half, we were we were very good, you know. I think, as I said, we went six, seven points up. Maybe the last 10 minutes there. We went back flat again. Maybe when we went back down to 14 men, we didn't took too long to deal with it or something. And look, in the space of five, five, six minutes, they had two goals in the back of the net. We went from six points up to one or two points down, and that's probably what changed the game. 
Yeah, and I think, in fairness, we got a double whammy there, didn't we? Because when Kildare got their first goal, Jack got sent off too, so that gave us an uphill battle. Even though we were still, I think, ahead perhaps at the time, or they had just maybe gone ahead. It was, it was close, it was close. I think we were three up, yeah. Um, yeah. And then, I suppose, they went on and got that second goal. Now, that was that was a bit of a sickener, to be honest, and probably a poor goal to give away. Probably, probably when you look back at the two goals, there are probably two goals that we could, uh, we could cut out, and that's the... That's the sickening thing about it. Like, there are, there are all mistakes we feel that we let them back into the game. And fair play to Kildare, like, you have to capitalise and you have to take those those opportunities when they come and they just took them. We look for leaders, Chris, when the game was in the melting pot. Uh, and two things stood out for us. I suppose three things. One was your sideline at the end, okay? But the other two, Sean Murphy put his body on the line over here, trundled the head in where you wouldn't play in a car, one or three. And then at the far end, Jack McCullough died full length. The helmet comes off his head, I think yeah. he got the ball across the head and stops a certain goal without that happening you're not in a position to go hit that line ball to level it are you? No I'm not no in fairness the two boys they were two unbelievable tackles you know they put their body on the line and you know, we're not surprised we expect that from them that's what they do they do that week in week out in training and fair play to them Joe. they put me in that position to as you said I wouldn't be in that position we would, would be four or five points down if they didn't put their body on the line like that and Fair play to the boys. So. Yeah, look, Chris, you're after busy the last number of months there between Fitzgibbon Cup and between leagues and everything. Um, I suppose to give the listeners an idea at home, like how how, is, how are you managing that? Like because it must be taxing. Well, yet you look so fresh out there. Yeah, in fairness to the two management teams when I was with the college there and Tommy and the management team here, they managed it well. Like you know, they didn't. They always did ask how we are. If you needed a night off, to give you a night off. Fair, fair play to them they, they managed it very well they didn't um, ask me to do do anything when I was tired you know, like, yeah. they managed training and the training load very well and, you know, I'm fresh out I'm loving playing these matches at the moment the ground is getting hard again it's lovely up here and just love playing the matches Nash. yeah and common sense between the management yeah. lastly just to, just to finish up so I think from our point of view the way we've called it here in terms of the newer players coming on board the target man that John Dyle has proven mm. to be on the edge of the square I think in the first half he was only involved in two plays and we got two scores from him right so his head doesn't dip because he's not in the game he's still when he is involved making stuff happen uh, Connor Keown around the middle Fiedra I think the new blood has done very well yeah and they've adapted fierce well you know in the last three games they've done fierce well as you said John Dyle any ball that went in there he made it stick we got scores off him First half, we probably didn't get enough ball in there, in around them. The two boys, as you said, Connor Kyo, Fiacra, so they're, they're brilliant there in midfield. And for the whole three games, couldn't fault them for anything. I think they got a couple of scores again apiece. Like, and the new lads are coming in, they've, they've all adapted fierce well. Even Jonas Scott Tracy, Fico, too, who didn't get on today. So they're driving everyone on and training like that, and that's just a bit disappointing today. Though. And just a, a shout out to your brother John. You do, you do give him a hard time every now and then, but yeah. <laughs> he was back today, yeah. and uh, you know he scored a vital point as well in the first one. Yeah, no, he did. Yeah, he's, he's back after a bit of a layoff there. He got a vital point there, so it's good to see lads coming back now. Mouse is back today. There, we we'll get more lads back now for two weeks' time and meet hopefully. Yeah, big game, Chris. Listen, yeah. come here. Thanks, William, for having a chat with us live here on Casey Lauren, and look after yourself. All right? Thanks, Evan. Thanks, James. Thanks, Thank stuff. you. Carlo P.R.O. Gerard Doyle also reacted to the drawn game in round four of the Division 2A Alliance League. Carlo P.R.O. Mr. Gerard Doyle. So, Gerard, firstly, thanks for grabbing Chris for us and bringing him up. Um, we had a good chat with him there. Uh, look, a mad game. Uh, not for the faint-hearted coming down the, the closing stretch for sure. Uh, but your assessment of it? It's a strange game, Kevin. Um... 
you know, Carlo were in top uh, scoring-wise anyway. Kildare had the possession, but they weren't getting the scores. They had an awful lot of wides. But Carlo were in a comfortable position on the scoreboard. There was two events then happened midway through the second half. We conceded a goal and we had Jack Cavanagh sent off. So suddenly we were in trouble, only three points ahead with 14 men. Kildare got their tails up and uh, went ahead. Um, it was strange altogether, but thankfully we got a result anyway, and it was an absolutely brilliant score from a sideline cut by Chris Nolan, a super score, and uh, some talent now. Chris is, you know, to get out of jail there, you know, and at least we can go home with our heads held high. Um, that we we got a result in the end under pressure with only 14 men and so on, you know. So, you know, from a situation where we were in control. You know, really, we should have finished out the match and kept control, but that's the way games go, you know. Yeah. And get away from you, and it did get away from Carlo a little bit. Yeah, I suppose the, the key thing is now, and we've touched on it briefly, is it's kind of over hands for two weeks' time against me. Do you know, like, I suppose from a Carlo point of view, all it can do is go and get the result. Uh, but we are dependent on others, I think. Yeah, we've left ourselves in a difficult position with, you know, narrow results there in a few games and uh, games maybe we should have done better in but we are where we are and I think to have the ability to go and win against Mead and uh, and see where that leaves us please God it leaves in the top three but there's so many chops and changes in, the, in this league you know teams are beating one another uh, so you know they're very evenly matched teams a lot of them uh, so uh, you know and there's no certainty about who's going to beat who on any given day anyone can beat anyone uh, so please God the results will go our way the next day. Um, the lads are putting in all the work anyway and, and they deserve to get something out of it, you know. Mm. And just a word on the Carlow Minor Orders and the Carlow Under 20s who were also in action yesterday. I was actually at the Under 20 footballers game yeah. yesterday, where he won 12 to 8, I think it finished, and some really good attack and play, good performance. Yeah, the Under 20s are, are really putting in huge effort in training and it's it's produced on the pitch as well their 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 tactics and their the the game plan that they're trying to implement is working for them on the pitch it's a relatively small team but they're playing good quality skillful stylish fast football getting the forwards in the very good full, full forwards um that can score and you know uh, it, it's proven there they're getting the scores mainly from the full forward line and uh, we've got two great results so far um, beating Watford and then yesterday beating Tipperary and I don't think we were ever in any trouble against Tipperary um, it, was a, it was a very assured performance by a very talented group of young men who were putting in huge effort under manager Morris Brown and uh, his selectors Damien Sheen John Connolly and Tony Bulger so it was a great setup there mm. and it's great to see them reaping a bit of a reward like it's probably a few years since we had any great success at under 20 level mm. it's great to see it yeah minor hurlers 12-7 uh, I think lads in the end uh, Antrim won out so yeah. um, it's mad we were remarking on it on the, the left wing back podcast that no matter where or what Carlo hurlers play Antrim in it's always very tight isn't it yeah well Antrim you know they're very proud of their hurling up in Antrim and they always produce good teams and and um, I think the scoreline probably didn't do Carlo justice. I think we were level at half time and uh, maybe should have had more scores on the board. Um, but like seven points is not a great return in a hurling match. So, like, obviously, uh, need to do a bit of work there. Um, but it's a tough game. I, I would imagine, I didn't hear much about the game, but I'd say Antrim with a big, strong team, they usually do. 
Um, but like, there's a lot of good work being done at underage level at the minors as well, and mm-hmm. I think they they will come again, and they have a few more games. I think the Derry next weekend, and uh, I think they you know they'll pick themselves up and go again. Yep, and Carlos Senior Footballers with Leitrim next weekend, I think, isn't it? Yeah, day. I yeah. can't wait to see them because they're they're not. You know, they're playing fantastic football, haven't probably got the rewards they deserved. And, you know, if we had got the two points against London in the first match, we'd be in a very happy position. We'd be looking forward to the possibility of being in the promotion mix. Um, they're playing lovely football and they're a joy to watch. And they're making great strides and great improvement for a very young team under Nile Crew. And I'm looking forward to the game against Leitrim. I think we'll, you know, should put up with a good performance and, you know, deserve to win. And... I'd hope they will win it. Is 12.30 next Sunday or 2 o'clock next Sunday at Network School Park? I think it's either or anyway. Yeah, but it's Sunday at Network School Park. That's Sunday at Network School Park. <laughs> yeah. I didn't hear a time yet. Um, yeah. So we'll look, we'll, we'll, we'll know I, during the week. We'll plenty of exposure on, uh, on Casey Law anyway. We'll give it a shout. I, I might have a time here if they have to hold that. Yeah, Jura's multitasking uh, here. <laughs> You do. You're after pulling it out of the bag in fairness to you here. So yeah, 2 o'clock against Leitrim next Sunday. Leitrim was 2 o'clock. That, that was, was the original bar. time set for it. So unless, yeah, unless there's change, there's change yeah, in the meantime. Yeah. That's it. Jordan, yeah. Piero, yeah, thanks a million for no problem, uh, Kevin. Kevin. Here. And, and th- really thanks to Casey Law for the coverage again, as always. You've provided great service to the Carlo GA. Thank you very much. That's all from Scoreline Extra for today. Don't forget you can tune into the live show every Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m.